0: Chapter 1, and we're starting at verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them, he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptised with water, but you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas... Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers.
1: Uh, Thank you, Alicia, for uh, giving us that report from the nominators and also reading God's word uh, to us this morning. Uh, There is some notes in your handout if you'd like to follow along uh, during my sermon. Uh, And would you please keep that uh, part of your Bible open. Most of us over the last uh, few weeks have done some sort of traveling. You may have gone on holidays, you might have gone on a road trip, or you may have just traveled to and from different Christmas celebrations. Most of us here know what it's like to travel around Australia to prepare for a road trip. And when you prepare for a trip here in Australia, there's very little about that trip that is not known about as you go on the journey. (coughs) Ella, Atticus, and I went up to the CMS Summer School in uh, January for a week up in Katoomba. The trip up there takes just over two hours, and it's very well known to us. We also went down to Melbourne to visit my family, and that trip Down the Hume is also a very well-known trip. And if there's anything we don't know about a trip, like how long the trip will take or how we are going to get to where we are going, Google Maps is always there to help us, isn't it? There is always accurate information that we can rely on as we prepare for the journey. Well, as we kick off this year at Helensburgh Anglican Church, I don't actually think we should consider uh, the expectations of this year to be similar to that of going on a road trip in Australia. I think it's more appropriate for us to consider the journey together this year more like traveling in a third world country. But don't worry, I have a lot of experience of traveling in a third world country. So when you travel here in Australia, everything is planned, prepared for, and known before you head off. But when planning and traveling in a third world country, everything is unknown. The preparation is quite different. For me, growing up in the middle of Papua New Guinea, with my parents being missionaries, we used to go from the middle of PNG, from the mission station, on holidays to the north coast, to Medeng and we used to say that the trip would take us four hours plus another four hours depending on what we faced, depending on what happened along the way. And so we would prepare for our trip and we would talk about what we might encounter along the way. The first thing we would do is we would talk about how we stash the cash. Yep, that's right, we hide our money somewhere in the car. We used to rip off a side panel of a door, and we used to stash our cash in the side panel, right? So that the hope would be that if we ended up encountering any local rascals along the way, that we might actually be able to keep our money. We used to talk about how... Uh, we all needed to be aware of pigs and chickens that might run out on the road. I can still remember my mom sitting in the front seat shouting out, pig, chicken, pig, chicken, as we drove along the main highway in the middle of Papua New Guinea. Our family would prepare in other ways. We would prepare in various different ways for the rascals that we might encounter along the way. As we would drive along, it was quite common for local rascals to jump out, hold up cars, try and rob whatever they could, and then let them continue along the way. And so other than just stashing the cash, we came up with other ideas of what we could do. Now, the first idea was one um, that is well known in Papua New Guinea, and that is to ask for a missionary discount. Yep, that's right, as you get robbed, you can stop and say, hold on a second, we're missionaries, can you give us a discount? Can you only rob half of us? Or something like that. And it actually works, it happened for other missionaries, so we thought we were going to give it a go. And so that was one thing we discussed and prepared for. But that wasn't the most absurd thing that we discussed when we planned the trip. My favorite was a secret that was only known to my family. It was a family secret that my parents came up with of what to do when being robbed, and that was to sing. Yep, we were going to sing to the rascals. As we're being held up at gunpoint, we were going to stand together as a family and sing Christian songs in the hope that they would enjoy the song and want to join in, stop robbing us, and join in singing with us. Now, in all my years of living in PNG, We never had the opportunity to give this a go. And I think that's possibly just because God protected my family from our own stupidity. (laughs) It was such a ridiculous idea, but we were committed to it. As a family, we were prepared to stand together and sing. And it's my hope and prayer that as our church family here in 2508 plan this year, we are committed to the journey, to the task that is set before us, regardless of what we might face and regardless of of how stupid we might be, that we might do as our vision statement says, that we might glorify God, that we might make disciples, that we might grow in love for Jesus, serve his people, the church, share Christ with the lost, listen to God in his word, by his spirit, and most of all, that we might do it all by depending on God in prayer. Before we set off on any of our holidays in PNG, we would stop and we would commit the journey to God in prayer. Because we knew that prayer showed our dependence on God as the only one who knew what lay ahead. Despite our futile attempts to prepare for what we might encounter along the way, we knew that God really knew what was to come. In Acts chapter 1, that was read for us, this is kind of the final preparation that the disciples have and others with them had, with Jesus before he left them and was taken up into heaven. And look uh, how they started their journey after Jesus left. In verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mound called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. Let's devote ourselves to prayer this year. And let's do that actually right now before we continue to look at this passage. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, help us to be open to your word and learn from it today so that by it, we might have the confidence to live out every situation we face in obedience to you. May I be clear as I speak your word today, and may it do its work transforming us to the likeness of your son, Jesus. I pray this for your glory and honor and praise. Amen. Luke, who's the author of the book of Acts, explains to us that the disciples, along with others, had just spent 40 days where Jesus appeared to them after he had risen from the dead. During this 40 days, Jesus spoke to them about the kingdom of God and what they should expect. And in verse four, Jesus actually tells them not to leave Jerusalem. Read with me verse four. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus tells them to wait until the Holy Spirit has arrived. And in fact, if you turn back to the Gospel of Luke, which was written if you turn to chapter 24 we see that the gospel of luke ends where acts starts so chapter 24 luke chapter 24 verses 44 luke writes then he said to them this is jesus speaking he says these are my words that i spoke to you while i was still with you You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. At the end of Luke here, and at the beginning of Acts, if you turn back to Acts, there is this word that is used to describe the disciples. It's a word that's used to describe the disciples and those who have been with Jesus. And so let's look at it again from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come to you, and you will be my witnesses. Jesus explains that once the Holy Spirit has, been, has come and they have received the Holy Spirit, they become his witnesses. Witnesses. So today I want us to consider what it means for us when Jesus says in verse 8, you will be my witnesses. What does it mean for us to be witnesses? And first of all, in order to understand what it means for us to be witnesses, we must understand God's history of salvation, what he is actually doing in this world. This passage clarifies us what God promises, what Jesus has done and continues to do, and what the Holy Spirit equips us for in our lives. Starting with God the Father. God the Father is the one who promised to send the Holy Spirit. We read this in the Luke passage. It's also in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. And down in verse 7, it also explains to us, he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. It is God the Father who chooses who will receive the Holy Spirit. He chooses who will and when they will receive the Holy Spirit. We are not sovereignly choosing who is saved. God does, not us. God chooses his family, not us. And then when we look at Jesus, his life, his death, it was all to save people from their sins. Jesus came, he lived, and he died. To save people from God's wrath, he died to atone for us to pay the price that we all deserve for our sins. And after he paid the penalty through his death, then he rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven. We read this passage about his ascension. In chapter, verse 9, it says, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God, reigning over the earth, saving sinners like you and me, interceding for us as the great high priest. And notice, I found this really interesting, how Luke begins the book of Acts in Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 1, he says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Luke explains that his first book that he wrote, the Gospel of Luke, was only the beginning of what Jesus was doing and teaching. And now this happens to be the second book of what Jesus is doing and teaching. See, there is work that Jesus has done and there is work that he is doing. He has completed his death. His payment for our sins is final. But Jesus' work actually continues as people are saved from their sins. He remains the great high priest who atones for us. His work continues today and every day until he returns and so what that means is we do not save people from their sins jesus does not us and it shouldn't be surprising that if we don't do the work of god the father and we don't do the work of god the son jesus then we're not doing the same thing as the holy spirit either the holy spirit comes to empower and illuminate the words of the gospel to those who are hearing it as they turn and believe. As people receive the Holy Spirit, they become a new people. They become part of God's family. They're transformed from death to life. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. We cannot bring the word spoken to life. We don't have the power to open the hearts of those who hear the good news. We do not empower, we do not illuminate. That is the work of the Holy Spirit, not us. But for those of us who believe in Jesus, for those of us who have received the Holy Spirit, we are now those who through the Holy Spirit are enabled and empowered to be a witness for Jesus. So here in verse 8, when Jesus says to his disciples, you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, Jesus is telling his disciples how God's salvation history will be achieved. It will spread across the globe to every people in every generation through God sending his Holy Spirit into the lives of people who through the saving work of Jesus will become part of God's family and because of that become a witness for Jesus. Now for the disciples, they were actual eyewitnesses of Jesus. They were eyewitnesses of his life and his death, his resurrection, his ascension. We are not eyewitnesses. We were not there. But this passage explains a real important aspect of what it means to be a witness for Jesus. The disciples were first told to wait until they received the power when the Holy Spirit comes on them and then they would become Jesus' witnesses. Even though they were unique in that they were eyewitnesses of Jesus, the fact that they were to wait until they received the Holy Spirit means that they were the basis, they were the standard for every subsequent generation of Christian after them. Every person who receives the Holy Spirit. Jesus says to them, you will be my witness. That is who we are. Now turn over a few pages in Acts to Acts chapter 4, verse 7. After the disciples received the Holy Spirit, they began speaking and teaching about all they had seen and heard. The Sadducees became really annoyed because of their preaching, and the rulers and the elders and the scribes, they all gathered together. And read with me what happens in chapter 4, verse 7. It says, And when they had set them in the midst, that's the elders, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Skip down as well to verse 18. So they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Here in verse 20, Peter says he cannot do anything else but speak of what he has seen and heard. After receiving the Holy Spirit, he cannot be anything other than a witness of Jesus and what Jesus has done for him. This is a very different Peter than the Peter that denied Jesus three times. This is a very different Peter after receiving the Holy Spirit. And we, are very different after receiving the Holy Spirit in our lives. For those of us who have received the Holy Spirit, we cannot do anything. We cannot be anything other than a witness of Jesus and what he has done for us. For we too have been saved by the death of Jesus Christ. He has atoned for us. He has paid the penalty for our sins. it has been said that witnessing is a natural response to the experience of God's grace and its power that lies entirely in the gospel. Witnessing is the only natural response to the experience of God's grace and its power that lies only in the good news of how Jesus Christ has saved us through his death. And the hard truth of the matter is that if we are not compelled to share the gospel, if we are not compelled to witness to others, then we should wrestle with whether we actually believe it. And so I want to challenge everyone here today. Do you actually believe? And if you do, then how are you compelled to share the gospel with others? Do you engage in conversations with others about what Jesus has done for you and how he has saved you from your sins? Have you shared a meal with friends or another family lately and taken the opportunity to be a witness to them maybe by saying grace at the beginning of the meal? Maybe demonstrating to them through your actions that you are a Christian? Have you, while you've served a friend who is in need. Acknowledge that God is the one who cares for them. And take the opportunity that he has extended to you that you might care for them. Have you invited or even willing to invite a friend or someone you know to church or to an event where they will hear about Jesus? I ask you, when was the last time you actually shared the good news of Jesus with someone? If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have confessed that Jesus is Lord and you believe it in your heart, if you have received the Holy Spirit, then you are a witness. That is who we are. And throughout the Bible, there are so many verses that help us understand how we are to witness for Jesus. And in fact, it encompasses all aspects of our life. In the handout in front of you, you will see that we are called to follow him. Jesus calls us in Matthew 4, 19, just like he did his disciples, to follow him. We are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that he has given us. In Colossians 1, chapter 10, it says this. We're told to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We are to be representatives of God in his mercy and grace and forgiveness. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10, it explains how we are not a people. We were not a people, but now we are God's people. We are his representatives. We are to be prepared to tell everyone of the hope we have in him. In 1 Peter 3.15, it reminds us to always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. It turns out that being a witness is actually part of our nature. We cannot be anything other than than a witness of Jesus Christ. And we do this in both what we say and what we do because our lives have changed. And so our changed life witnesses to Jesus' work in us. And when asked, we are to speak and we are to say why our life has changed. And we attribute it all to the work of Jesus and nothing else. There is no doubt that the clear response to all that God has done for us is to be a witness in every aspect of our life. But let me be clear to you about one thing, what it means to be a witness in every aspect of what we do in our lives, because whenever we start talking about being a witness or being seen by others in what we do, we so often think that it means that we need to be good, we need to be righteous, we need to have it all together so that we would be seen as some great Christian so that it might be attractional, attracting them to us. But that is not the case. It's not true. We do not witness by being good. And Paul explains this in great detail in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says that he boasts in his weakness because the power of God is made perfect in weakness. Paul explains that it is the power of the cross that gives him his strength. Paul says, I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul, as he witnesses to what Jesus has done in his life, helps us realize the same thing, that in our weakness, the power of the cross is glorified. So Paul is seen struggling. We can be seen struggling when things go wrong in our lives so that God's grace is evident as the source of strength in our lives. And we do it also that we do not boast in anything. We don't boast in ourselves. We don't boast in anything other than Jesus and in Him alone. So, in the book of Acts, there are page after page that explain to us how Jesus continues His work of saving the unlikely, saving the outcast, saving the sinners who then in turn receive the Holy Spirit and become his witnesses. On some pages in the book of Acts, there's just one or two that become witnesses. On other pages in Acts, the number is about 5,000 who believe. But it doesn't end with the book of Acts, does it? There's an entire history of how Jesus continues His work of saving sinners, who in turn receive the Holy Spirit, who become His witnesses. And that history includes us. And we cannot do anything other than be a witness of what Jesus has done for us. In God's salvation history, between what was written in the book of Acts and now, there are many men and women who have understood that they can do nothing other than be a witness for Jesus. I could mention many great names over the last 2,000 years, but I thought I would just finish with a man that some of you may have heard of and who's a bit closer to home, Richard Johnson. Richard Johnson, he was appointed as the chaplain of the prison colony here in New South Wales, in 1886. Two years later, he actually arrived with the first fleet in 1888, 1788, 1788. 1788. On the 3rd of February, he, that was yesterday, Richard Johnson held the first Christian service in Australia where he spoke from the Bible. And he used Psalm 116 to testify of the work of Jesus in his life. Richard Johnson was known for his agricultural abilities. He was a teacher. He made great contributions to education, law. He, was, he made great contributions in convict welfare and in indigenous relations. All of which he did because he could do nothing else other than be a witness of what Jesus had done for him. It took almost 2,000 years for Christ, after Christ descended, for there to be a witness here in Australia. It's taken even longer for witnesses to get in other places in the world. And there are even still some places in the world that have not heard people who have not been reached. But what's more shocking is that there are some people you know and who you call friend who are still not reached, who still have not heard of God's grace and love and how they can be saved through what Jesus has done for them. And it's not because of the difficulty with distance or transportation, the inability to physically reach them. It's because we have not opened our lives and opened our mouths and shared with them what Jesus has done for us. Well, we're going to sing in a moment. And then we're going to have the opportunity to think about how we might do this better, both individually and as a church family as we kick off 2024. For now, why don't I pray for us and then we'll sing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that we are weak and we are vulnerable and we care about our reputation more than we should. Help us not to allow these things to prevent us from sharing your grace and love to others. Help us to walk in a manner worthy of you, so that we may serve you faithfully and boast only in your Son, Jesus. For your glory, we ask these things. Amen.